Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and we've got uh, our lovely co-host, Carla Jo Helms, with us here today. Hello. And we're going to be talking about LinkedIn techniques for thought leadership with Rachel Simon. Uh, Rachel is the founder and CEO of Connect the Dots Digital. She works with uh, company founders, subject matter experts, and executives to expand their network and develop themselves as thought leaders while increasing trust with their buyers, all on LinkedIn. Uh, Rachel, fantastic to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So LinkedIn thought leadership, love the topic. Before we jump headlong into that, can you um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what your company does? And uh, how you got here? Absolutely. Um, so you, you know, in reading my bio, that sums up a lot about what um, my company does. Con- Connect the Dots Digital um, is a managed service. So we work with industry experts, really subject matter experts, leaders, company leaders, um, in their LinkedIn profile to help them sort of connect with the right. T- um, audience, so figuring out who are their targets and are they connected to them, and if not, let's do some strategic outreach, um, helping them really showcase their expertise through great content, so developing that thought leadership, um, and then building relationships um, with those contacts through personal messaging, by interacting um, you know, um, in posts and various ways, really all to build trust so that when a need does arise, that expertise is sort of known by the audience and can shorten the sales cycle and sort of help kind of get that sale a little bit quicker than um, through other traditional means. Um, I've been doing this for about three years. I come from a very non-marketing specific background. Um, I did a lot in nonprofit and community building. So I've taken a lot of the things I learned in working in the nonprofit world as far as being authentic, really valuable, um, and having to do a lot with a little and kind of it informs what I do now with Connect the Dots Digital. Sometimes that's really great, Rachel, from an outsider coming in, you can see things at a different perspective. And you talked about, you know, genuine authenticity. Uh, from your background, I think that's always mm-hmm. a refreshing thing that uh, marketers, B two B marketers, can look at because we're um, always having to tell the new story, right? And we get yes. and it gets old for us. And you know, having to be authentic refreshes it, puts you in present time. So I think that's great. Oh yeah, thank you. And you know, honestly, coming from nonprofit where you, you know, I did marketing and nonprofit and I helped build one nonprofit social media strategy really from the ground up. Um, when I started working in the for-profit world and with other companies, you know, conversations of, well, what listening tools are you using? And what are you using to automate X, Y, and Z? And I was like, well, I worked in nonprofit. So the listening tools I use were my ears <laughs> and my eyes, like there's no money for those things. So you really have to learn how to do a lot of things. You were gorillaing it. Or, organically. Um, and uh, that organic aspect of sort of reaching out to people, I think there's a lot of power in that, um, you know, that can be coupled with some other automation tools. Yeah, agreed. So, Rachel, this isn't just one aspect of uh, of your job or of your business. Um, this, this is kind of what you guys do. Is that what I'm getting? This is your Correct. focus. We are, yes. Um, so we're really trying to do one thing and one thing really, really well. 
uh, you know, generally clients also other needs come up. So such as I have a client that I've been working with and they really needed SEO and sort of more pay-per-click um, support. And so I have a lot of great people that I have, can make referrals and introductions to. Uh, but I have kind of done the jack of all trades where sure, I'll do this, that, and the other and decided that I really want to do one thing and really focus specifically in one area because um, there's lots of great people that can do the supportive work. Yeah. When people ask what you do and your answer is, I don't know, what do you pay for? That's never a good sign. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> Whatever, anything. Show me a check. Right. Uh, okay. So now focusing specifically on LinkedIn, uh, I know building, we had a, a guest, a couple, a couple of guests back um, that was uh, all about um, thought leadership and creating mm -hmm. thought leaders on social media in general. Are you guys focused specifically on LinkedIn? I mean, that, that's the topic today, but is that the, the single platform that you're focused on or do you get more general? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I really am focused on LinkedIn. Um, you know, however, uh, some clients have multiple social media platforms that they are working with and, you know, obviously content can be used in a variety of ways, but there's something special about showcasing that expertise on LinkedIn. Um, and you know, one, I mean, you know, kind of great, reason why it's so important and such a great platform. It, it is the number one site for B2B content. So it is people are coming to LinkedIn specifically because they know that there's valuable, meaningful, incredible content. Yeah. What shocked me there is that I think, wait, there's another site for B2B content. <laughs> the, the I mean, one a lot is, of people use, right. Uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I definitely see lots of companies who feel like they have to have a Facebook presence if they're B2B. I personally right. don't recommend that. Um, I don't think a lot of B2B companies are buying and selling because if they see something on Facebook. I will interrupt you on that one, Rachel, and I'll tell you because all of our clients are B2B and it is really not for buying and selling. You're right. But most B2B companies do have an effect on the end user and the consumer. So for uh, reputation-wise, court of public opinion, when they actually yeah. show, and it's really for PR purposes, but they have a Facebook page to really connect with those influencers that affect the audiences of their clients, you know, and what they ultimately do, yeah. that's where Facebook is valuable. Yeah, I can see that. And it's definitely like for brand awareness. Um, but, you know, oftentimes, especially the smaller companies where resources are are limited. If you have to pick a couple, I would definitely put my focus on LinkedIn versus some of the other platforms out there. I would too, for sure. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I mean, everyone, I, I think Facebook has its, its role in sort of the business world. Um, but I don't know about you. I feel like now my Facebook feed is just clogged up with ads, like tons and tons of ads. And it's starting to get kind of frustrating as a user. Um, but it's really gluttoned, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know, again, back to with LinkedIn, I think that the piece where I it, really that value um, add is the fact that we don't have to sift through garbage content like you do on some other social media sites. Um, it is 
for the most part, content is really credible and, and has a inherent value. Um, when people are posting it. Yeah. And it's surprising uh, out of all the millions of users um, and out of all the millions of decision makers, the little amount of content that is actually on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a wide open like canvas for um, B2B companies. Is that right? What are those stats? So, um, you know, there's about 500 million LinkedIn users. About half of those are, I think, what you call active users, you know, so who are looking at the platform once, at least once a month. But of, even of those, only about 3 million are sharing content on a regular basis. So that's a very small percentage of the overall use and even a small percent of the, of the uh, you know, more active users. So there's less noise to sift through um, yeah. and a lot of opportunity to show expertise um in a quieter platform versus some other ones i have i actually did some research on this episode i know everybody listening is going to be shocked but i i I looked up some numbers rachel and it's funny i i have the exact same number you have on the on the number of users um and but then i I broke it down some more just to share some general stats with people Mm -hmm. on linkedin's scope And, and i guess i'd say at this point that as far as i know rachel is uh is not uh, working for LinkedIn. This is just the platform that she and most B2B people agree is is the main place to go to for this kind of stuff. It's going to sound like we're doing an ad for for LinkedIn at some point here. Um, but in B2B, I think we already all know that. <laughs> At cocktail parties, people are confused. And they say, LinkedIn, that's that <laughs> joke. That's that's something that's like a Dilbert comic, right? No, no. If you're in our world, this is, this is where it's at. But um, so the 500 million users, yes. But in the U.S., there's about 150, 151 million profiles. Um, now, you talk about active users. That's really important because in my business, one of the things we notice is how many, not only active users, but real users. All these kind of platforms have this many users, but then a percentage of them, and I think on LinkedIn, possibly more than other um, platforms, a percentage of them aren't real profiles. they are people maybe who created a profile and left, and it just sits there, or people who... Um, You'll see the same people have multiple profiles because they lost their access to it and just created a new one. They got a new job yes. and didn't have the email they created it with. And so they created a new one over and over again. Or then you have a quite a few, actually, it's a big problem. LinkedIn's had lawsuits with uh, companies on this that create massive amounts of fake profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see about 150 million US profiles, which would be if they were all real profiles, 100% of the working population of the US. And we know that's not true. So then. Good research. Yeah, I got more more numbers. I told you. I spent five minutes on this. Now, this is the kind of thing we just know here anyway. So I'm kind of cheating calling it research, but um, we we do this research all the time. I'm not going to take that much credit for it. So we what we've estimated here is that there's about 40 million valid U.S. profiles, which is 27 percent of the of the total U.S. profiles. So it's actually a pretty it's only about a quarter of the profiles that are really valid profiles. So you mentioned the percentage that that post is small, but the percentage that are actual real profiles are small compared to the total profiles. That's still a huge number of profiles. That's still a ton of people when you're thinking the B2B market and who's actually on LinkedIn. So it's, it's still massive, but the overall numbers aren't quite what they seem on the surface. And it's, you know, 12% of the U S population. That's a huge number. 23% 23% of the workforce on LinkedIn. That's a huge number. Um, 
an interesting thing is how many people are coming on to LinkedIn all the time as well. If we have uh, what 1.3 million US profiles added per month on LinkedIn, roughly right now, I'm sure it fluctuates from month to month, but that's about 350,000 using the same metrics we have here, valid profiles a month. That means people are creating a lot of, of invalid profiles every, every month. If we assume that valid profile number holds true, um, the, the number of births in the U.S. per year is around 4 million, uh, which at 350,000 valid profiles per month and 4 million babies born in a year, we have more profiles being created on LinkedIn in a year than we're having new births, which means it can't really keep up that pace. So either LinkedIn's growing rapidly because it hasn't fully matured with the number of the workforce being on LinkedIn, or there's even more profiles on LinkedIn that are that are not um, valid people or, or, or valid profiles on there or, or that are abandoned or whatever it is. So just some kind of general That's numbers to throw out there. Maybe a lot abandon them. What do you think, Rachel? I, I actually, um, I think you're right. I think a lot of people, well, probably two things. Like you said, Scott, some people forget their um, credentials and just don't maybe know how to find them again. You know, that you can like reset your password or they don't know what email address they created. Some people think you have to create a new profile for every new position. I've actually sat with... Um, uh, somebody recently and literally on the phone together, it took over almost an hour to help, help him find an old profile and merge the two. He had no, you know, didn't know you could merge um, duplicate profiles, which if you don't know, you can surprise. <laughs> so if you have two profiles, you can merge them. A percentage of the um, people listening just started logging on to LinkedIn saying, Oh my right. God. <laughs> Um, number one for the so, episode already. Right. Um, I do think there's a, probably a fair amount of user error, but I also do know that um, I have a uh, someone that I know who works for a company where they do exactly what you said. They create these fake profiles um, and they use them to do automation uh, sales outreach. And, you know, right. that's a big no-no. There's a ton of companies that that's their whole business is LinkedIn lead gen. <laughs> yeah. And they aren't using their own profiles. And I would, I talked to people about this before and said, I estimate that every company with probably over 50 employees has LinkedIn profiles for fictitious people that they use, just like you have a, a receptionist or an assistant that doesn't actually exist. And half the salespeople have multiple profiles because they have their assistant. That's not a real person. And that's where I think a lot of this comes up. So there's malicious companies creating profiles, yeah. but there's also people creating profiles for specific uses that are not them, but they're them. They're, you know, let's call it, uh, you know, somebody writes a book under another name. You don't uh, say that it's, that it's fake or bogus. People are doing that to an extent. Um, right. Kind of the takeaway to fe- from your original point, though, is there are a ton of real people and real profiles, but it's underused. Like LinkedIn is still a, a very, you know, it's a pond that's teeming with fish and people aren't really taking full advantage of it. And I think Correct. that's kind of why it sounds like you, uh, you specialize in LinkedIn because there's so much opportunity there because there's so many people, but they aren't as active as they could be. They're not taking full advantage of this profile or this, this platform that we all have just access to as a playground. Absolutely. And I think again, knowing that we're also up against lots of fake profiles out there, all the more reason why when I'm engaging with my clients and in the work that I'm doing, 
it is so important that it always feels like the actual person who is, even if I'm helping manage their LinkedIn profile, it's them. Right. I want it to be authentic and be authentically their voice and what they would be doing if they had the time to do it themselves. Well, you know, I think they say that across all social media platforms, but I see it the most on LinkedIn because you are dealing with higher educated people, decision makers, and they really do, uh, they are there to connect, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's even more expected on LinkedIn than it is on other social media channels. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's coming though. Watch out. There are a ton of companies out there right now that are doing LinkedIn lead generation. And Oh, I know. I've done a lot of research in the area and I feel like They're going to turn people I off. Guess, people are going to get yeah. started. Like when somebody reaches out to you now, you kind of assume. Well, we do LinkedIn lead generation, but we don't turn people off. <laughs> right. But the automated <laughs> But I think you know, when it becomes commoditized, watch out, right? There's a lot of automation out there. There's a lot of, and I mean, I've seen some really bad ones. Yeah. I like to use this example of one of my clients as I was like looking through his request to connect, you know, connection requests um, was dear Mr. It literally said dear Mr. Or Ms. And then, Oh, oh no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's a robot. That is that's awesome. Bad. That is awesome. And that's well, a terrible job. Like that's like one of the worst automation. It's not even necessary. Yeah. Like you don't have to say Mr. or Miss. You could just say dear so-and-so. Or I tell people, don't say dear. Real people don't say dear. Real people right. don't say dear. <laughs> that's a quotable so quote, Sky. Oh, that's my new bumper sticker. Real people don't say dear. Say dear. <laughs> hey, can I ask a question about content? Yes. So we're talking about all these accounts and so forth. And um, this is one that sort of defies logic uh, in other areas, but it's really very interesting in LinkedIn. Tell us why long form content gets the most shares on LinkedIn. Um, that's a really good question. So LinkedIn just absolutely loves long form content. It wants you to, so in a, with a couple of caveats, it really wants it to be, um, like unique long form content. So ideally, even though I do, um, you know, sometimes ask clients to repurpose content that maybe has appeared on a blog on LinkedIn through LinkedIn publisher, yeah. LinkedIn really likes it to be like the first, the one place that you publish long form content. Mm. So they, it, they high, like they, it gets highlighted, it gets served to different um, audience. And I like to use this. I've been doing lunch and learns lately about, um, thought leadership. And I, one of my slides was talking specifically about publishing and I used myself as an example. So I had written a blog post on, um, you know, some just basic on why you should post content on LinkedIn. And I published it on my website and I shared the link, um, you know, through my company page. And then I shared it as myself. I got two likes. One was my husband. That's a required like (laughs) he has to like everything I post on LinkedIn. Um, the, I about a couple weeks later repurposed that same content and I got 96 likes, like three comments, six shares. It was a completely different uh, response to the same content. So, you know, I challenge people just to try it out and see if you have some content that you can, you know, expand in a longer form and see what the response is like and see if it hits different people. Um, you know, if you're seeing more second and third degree uh, connections that are interacting with it, it's being served up to a completely different 
audience versus who's in your network. So are you saying basically that LinkedIn's monogamous or they want you to be monogamous? <laughs> like uh, yes. <laughs> if you put it everywhere, they're kind of eh, not too thrilled about it. They just want you to, to have your content with them. Yeah, they do. They do. But I mean, you know, you've got a limited amount of time and it, it, it's important to be able to repurpose content. So right. I, I do recommend that if you do repurpose content, that if it goes on your website, you wait three, four weeks to share it on LinkedIn through, you know, publishing it, you know, again, cop, you can copy and paste it. And I like to include a link to the original. Oh, so not post. post on LinkedIn first and then do your site. You can put it on your site. You just have to have a time period between. Yeah. That was recommended to me. Wait, wait, which one comes first? I missed it. LinkedIn comes first, then the mm-hmm. website, your, right? Your website or the other always way needs to come first. You don't want to mess. You don't want to. Oh, okay. That's yeah, what I thought. You don't want to okay. mess up your SEO on your website. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, Google also doesn't love it when content is duplicated all the time. So if you can make it a little bit right. different, or maybe you can, you know, include a shorter version and then click to read more. There's a lot of ways to play with it. Um, another good way to pu- for publishing is let's say you found a great article um, that requires more than like a two sentence, you know, putting it in context to post the link. You can write three, four paragraphs, really flesh out why, you know, what you thought was valuable from the article, or maybe you disagreed with it, um, include the link to the original piece and publish that. So you have a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity of the various types of content. You can do a case study, you can do, you can do photos, you know, or images, infographics. There's a lot to play with, Um, but it's, it's an interesting tool to experiment with, to see what the response is like. What if you posted a shorter version on your website with a link to the longer version that's exclusively for LinkedIn uh, in that particular post? So you still have authenticity. You still have it on your website. You still have exclusive content on LinkedIn. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, it's all an experimentation. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, I'm not a website expert, so I would never – I don't want to – speak to what the SEO implications would be for that. Um, but, you know, some companies, it's more important that they get that, you know, that organic search for their yes. site versus if you know you're not getting like a lot of people are not typing in your website and coming up on, you know, the first page of Google, if that's not as important to you, but what's happening on LinkedIn is more than, I, I just think you have to work, do it the whatever makes most sense for what your strategy yeah. is. Um, but again, experiment and see. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, tool. And a lot that's, it's also, you know, we talked about how LinkedIn is underutilized in general. Publisher is even more underutilized. So like, of from the stats that I was working off of, you know, again, thinking about putting them in a the context of what the actual users might be, but if only 3 million users are sharing content weekly, only about 1 million are ever publishing content. When you say publisher, publisher, you mean people publishing original content? Correct. So if you're looking at your, you know, for page, you're looking at the LinkedIn newsfeed and at the top, it's got the right. Let me just make sure I say it exactly correctly. Hold on. One at the top, if you want to post something, it's going to tell you um, share article, photo, video, or idea. So the little, the first little button you could click says write an article and if you click on that it takes you to the page like the web page within LinkedIn where you can write an article. 
Right. So it looks different versus if you want to post a link, you just pop the link in there. Or a regular post. Um, so you're saying you're always much better off writing an article than taking the same long form content and putting it in a post. Yeah. Play with it. And if you can add a photo, even better. Excellent. Another good tip. So I want to jump back to, we've kind of been flying around LinkedIn here, back to the, the thought leadership and LinkedIn mm-hmm. in general. Um, that's That's your guys' focus. It's what you do over there. Can you, just for people listening who are saying, okay, what's thought leadership and what's LinkedIn maybe, um, maybe a little bit past that, but why is it important to develop thought leadership? Like who would want to do this and why? Okay. So the real value of developing thought leadership on LinkedIn is that it showcases you as an expert in what you do. So Everybody, I'm sure, is connected to someone on LinkedIn that you're like, okay, that guy knows everything there is to know about financial planning. Right. Or that guy is the commercial real estate, you know, guru here and wherever you live. So you want to help develop yourself to be top of mind like that um, with whatever your area of expertise is. So it's the LinkedIn version of when you know somebody, you're like, oh, that guy likes eggs, you know, because of Facebook or something like that. Right. The business version. Exactly. Yeah, that person really loves uh, whatever show. Uh Like they're obsessed with it. So yes, it is that you you are known for what you know. Mm -hmm. And again, it's by consistently posting content that talks about your area of expertise. You know, that's a really important word. I mean, today you have to differentiate yourself. and so content and being an expert is the way to do that, right? But you mm-hmm. said a really important word, and it was consistent. There has to be a yes. rhythm. There has to be consistent um, information that's coming out. And you know, Google really rewards that too. I mean, that is part of the algorithm to really reward someone that has high quality, um, authentic, um, you know, vendor-neutral content that is consistent, right? And I I see when you're talking about that with LinkedIn, they have a very similar algorithm. Yeah, so that consistency is, um, can be intimidating. Uh, And generally when I have, you know, my recommendation is people are posting three to five times a week and sometimes people's eyes like bug out of their heads thinking, oh my God, how (laughs) can I possibly make that happen? Um, But being seen as in a regular, uh, consistent basis in the newsfeed is extremely powerful and valuable. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be overwhelming if, if you make a plan. So just like if you were starting an exercise routine, you know, you don't go run a marathon, um, you know, on the first day you've ever run. Like you don't, you don't say, you know what I'm going to do? Get in shape. I'll run a marathon a year. (laughs) Exactly. You make a plan. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to run a mile and then I'm going to run two miles and then I'm going to run three miles. You work your way up and you make a plan. And that's really what I recommend is you make a plan. Think about all the content you have at your disposal. So does your company have you know, do you work for a company that has a LinkedIn page where they post content regularly? If so, there's your first place to look. And then for. I'm going to, can you share that? I'm going to kind of to, to scrape some people off as far as this right off the bat and saying, if you don't have something to say, then come back when you do <laughs> kind of, or come up <laughs> yeah. with something of value to say, because the you know LinkedIn will, people will recognize if you're just slinging 
you know, if you're slinging garbage because you feel like I need to make, you know, 10 posts a week. So let me just, if you're throwing fluff out there, that's not really gonna, gonna help you either throwing garbage. It's got to actually be good content. So if you feel like you can't do it or if it's too much work, then, you know, other people will do it. That's fine. And if you're saying people are like, oh my God, that three posts a week or whatever it is, that that's work. If this isn't going to be your job, then don't do it. But that's your job. You don't say, oh my God, I have to go to work every day. That's every day. (laughs) Uh We're not children. That's the job. If you want to be, you know, an influencer, if you want to be a thought leader on LinkedIn or in your field at all, then if three posts a week scares you, then, you know, the world needs dick diggers too. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think um, you're right. I, I think we often also see people that, you know, they're posting very self-promoting things. I shy away from that. I, I really needs to be informed by what is your audience going to find valuable? So, you know, you might be the greatest, uh, you know, financial planner in the world, but telling people all day long, hey, I'm so good at this. You should work with me. Okay. I got to jump in again because this is, I've started seeing more of this on LinkedIn and it's, I hate what it. Is it? What that, is I think it? it's from coming back to <laughs> the 1980s. Hate? It's, there's so many sales and marketing people doing the handheld from my phone videos saying, hey, I'm awesome. You want to be awesome like me? Listen to me. Here's how you become awesome. Reach out to me and I'll make you awesome. I do lead gen on LinkedIn and I'm awesome and you can be awesome. Stop it, people. It's it's pathetic. We don't want to see you walking around the Lamborghini and pretending to open the door and then seeing the owner in the background running up saying, what are you doing <laughs> in my car? Pretending like you have all this great success to try to make success. Knock it off. It's so annoying. That might work on Facebook. But here on LinkedIn, it's business to business. You need real content. You have to actually provide some value. Stop making these BS. I'm so great. Come, you know, I'll teach you how to be great too. videos. I, um, I agree. And I think if you're going to do a video, answer a question. Yeah. It's not authentic. It's what you're talking you, about. The authenticity. Right. People in business to business see through the fake stuff. You can't BS them. I agree. You can't, you know, we sell to marketers. We can't use get marketing gimmicks on marketers. They're. You know, they see right through it. It's inauthentic. They know it right. right away. This rash of videos over the last year or so, people doing that, it's so annoying. And you got to see their face There's a lot too. Of you got to stare at their face while they're slinging this BS. <laughs> so funny. Um, so years ago, like years and years ago, my first job, I uh, was sitting in a presentation by um, a marketing guy here in Atlanta and one of the things he talked about has always stuck with me. Um, and Mike Ween, if you're listening, 20 years later, here we go. He said, you should always be thinking about from the point of view of who's, who you are reaching out to, what, what's in it for me? Meaning like, what are they, why would they want to hear what you have to say? And so I think that what's in it for me, me being the consumer or whoever is the the, the business that you're reaching out to is so important because you want them to look at you like you have something valuable that they need and that you understand their pain points and can speak to those challenges. And so you could talk all day long about how smart you are and how great you are, but your cons- the customer needs to, needs to think that you need to understand that you can help them and that you understand what they need out there. And I think that that has always sort of stuck with me um, through, you know, every job I've ever had and every sort of outreach I've ever had to do. Um, 
and I think it makes a lot of sense on LinkedIn, is talk to your audience in a meaningful and valuable way that will resonate with them. Yeah, and I I scrolled down to my LinkedIn profile here while while you were talking real quick. Two out of the first five posts that show up are are these faces. (laughs) I I can't hear what they're saying. I know they're just saying, I'm awesome at sales and marketing and business. It's it's insane. So I think if you're trying to build thought leadership on LinkedIn, maybe it's successful. I don't know. I feel like it's it's garbage. Um, I'll throw it out there as a teaser. Rachel, you could tell us after the break if that's a technique. And I guess as long as the content's good. So video yourself sitting in your car in traffic on a surfboard talking, whatever it is, as long as you have something of value to say. Every time I hear one of those, it's just a con job is what it sounds like. Um, so we're going to jump to break real quick. Um, we got Rachel Simon here with us. Uh, I'm Sky Cassidy, Carla Joe Helms, our PR expert and co-host are here. And when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, LinkedIn techniques for thought leadership and get a lot more into that thought leadership. And uh, I'll, I'll be grilling you for some of the secrets of your business uh, here, Rachel. All right, I'm ready. Hi, it's Bill Cates. I'm president of Referral Coach International. And the shortest line to relevance to getting someone's attention is a recommendation from someone else they already trust. We help you multiply your best clients and reach those hard to reach clients. So reach out to us at referralcoach.com forward slash resources, referralcoach.com forward slash resources. Let's start a conversation. See if I can help. Okay, welcome back from the break. This is the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. I've got Carla Joe Helms, our lovely co-host here with us, and we're speaking with Rachel Simon of uh, Connect the Dots Digital. They specialize in LinkedIn uh, thought leadership development. Uh, Rachel, glad to have you back. Let's jump right back into it. We've been talking a little bit about it, but we haven't really got down to specifics on the thought leadership part for LinkedIn. Can you touch on that and kind of, I mean, we, we talked about why people would want to want to develop this. Um just maybe a uh, getting up and running. Somebody wants to do a couple things to get going. We talked about content. I'm sure that's the main thing, but they want to develop themselves as a thought leader on LinkedIn. Where should they start and what steps should they go through? Okay. So as we sort of were talking about before the break, that planning piece is really important. So thinking about where, where, what content do you have um, at your disposal? You know, again, if your company is posting, uh, has a LinkedIn page and is posting content on a regular basis, that can be the first place you look to um, for content to share. So you can see what's your company sharing. Um, You can share it and put it in your, you know, frame it based on what you are trying to convey. Um, And that is a simple sort of step one of where to find content. Additionally, what other information and content do you have at your disposal? So have you written articles that can be shared or repurposed like we talked about um, in a long form, you know, publishing content uh, published on publisher? Um, what about slides from PowerPoint presentations, graphics, images, infographics? So sort of taking inventory of where you have content um, that, that you've created or sort of is generated from your company. Um, so this was, I was going to say this is a joke, but then I started thinking, wait, Carla Joe might cut me off. This, this might be real. Um, obviously you need good content in your area of expertise, but 
is there any upside to occasionally humanizing yourself with, uh, you know, Facebook esque content like baby photos and stuff like that? Uh, well, so on LinkedIn, I mean, I really try to keep it on the up and up as like professional as possible. That being said, you know, I think travel photos have a place there, um, showing a little bit of your personality. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, quotes and memes on LinkedIn, but that's just me. You know, if it is inherently you, somebody's personality to show that, to share those, go for it. Um, I think it should just feel like it is who you are. Um, but I think that, you know, some, st- some kinds of content sort of feel more at home on Facebook or Instagram versus Right. So maybe a dusting here and there of a meme or something, but if all you post is memes, then that's just going to be who you are and nobody goes to meme guy for advice. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, to put up like a Friday funny or something, fine, go for it. But yeah, sprinkle those little, those guys in there. All right. Speaking of which, uh, we've got the, if you market, they will come site. We, we post out stuff regularly, uh, marketing Marvin cartoons and whatnot. Uh, Anybody listening, go check that out. Woo. Shameless plug. You got to do it. Um, So, you know, another really good place to find content to post is obviously external content. So, you know, a really nice place is the LinkedIn newsfeed. So spending a few minutes every day, maybe 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes over lunch, scrolling through to uh, look for articles that jump out at you. You can save them now. used to only be able to save articles on your mobile on the mobile app now, you can save them on the desktop too, which is really good. There's like a little, um, generally like in the bottom right, there's a little tab you can click and it saves articles. So you can just collect content to share when you need it. Um, industry newsletters. So if you if there's a couple uh, emails that you subscribe to within your industry that provide really good content, that's a good place to look for to share articles. So if you're sharing them, do you need to repurpose and comment or can you just say, hey, this is a great article and I mean, it's not like someone else's article you can specifically share, but if you're going to do the write an article thing, you can't just copy and paste their article. No, 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 no. You can, you can call, you can share the link and then put your own um, two cents. I'm really, when I talk about sharing, I mean more of like sharing it um, as a link versus. Oh, so can I take people's videos where they're talking about how awesome they are and do like mystery science theater over I, the top of it. Sure. I mean, that I'll would give be my commentary. <laughs> That'll be my content. That's what I am on LinkedIn now. <laughs> um, that's really funny. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater. That's like a throwback. Um, I want all political debates to be done that way, by I the way. I think that would be awesome. Like, oh my goodness. I don't want to watch them. I want to watch <laughs> Mystery Science Theater critiquing them while they're doing it. I think the world would be a much happier place if that happened. Everyone would watch the debates. They you would. could even get like guest critiquers, past presidents, you oh know, comedian. Work it out a little bit. Come on, uh, Comedy Central. So funny. Um, so anyway, when you're sharing, if you're sharing articles from, you know, external sources, just put it, put it in your frame, put the context. I really also, a great way to, if you don't know what to say, this happens a lot. Um, you know, you find an article and then you spend like 20 minutes going, okay, what do I say? How do I say it? What am I supposed to say? Pull a quote from the article, ask a question, make it simple. Don't overthink it because chances are the first thing that you thought about 
to put it into context was probably spot on perfect. And then you spent 20, 30 minutes just yeah, like they over perfect it, right? Stressing out about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, don't, don't stress. It's going to be fine. You can do this. Um, uh, Google alerts is a good place to set up to find content. So if there's some keywords, uh, you can set up a Google alert and Google will serve you whatever it finds based on those keywords. Um, but really just, there's a lot, you have more content at your disposal than you know. It's just a matter of organizing it. You can do a lot of counterpunching. Basically, you don't have to come up with a calendar and just, here's all my ideas and I'm going to fill up. You can take other people's stuff and kind of counterpunch off it, comment on it, write a write-up on someone else's write-up, that kind of stuff. Exactly. And it's actually really good to do that, particularly, let's say there are specific people in your industry that are, that already are known as thought leaders and influencers. Maybe you want to be noticed by them. Commenting mm-hmm. on what they are posting, sharing what they're posting, that's a good way to make that happen. You take someone else who's a big thought leader and you do the after show of their uh, articles. <laughs> right. They be, they're a thought leader because people like what they say and share their content. Right. That's how you become known as an expert in your industry. So you want to kind of get on that train. And you mentioned how multimedia really helps that content because it is long form and people do have to have it broken up with subheads. But I was reading something. I think it was there was like if like the the stuff that got shared the most were if you had like up to eight images, like that seems like excessive to me, but I thought that was interesting. No, on you're talking about in published, like if you're publishing an article, things that have a lot of images. Um, Uh, Well, on LinkedIn, I think it was a LinkedIn stat. I saw that stat too. I mean, you know, I think again, I, I generally would recommend, you know, the majority of activity on LinkedIn being, posting typically posting like a link or something in the on the LinkedIn news feed and then maybe once or twice a month doing something that's long form content that you publish I mean you can't do three to five posts a week that are long form I think that's overwhelming Um, but I you know mix it up a little bit speckle those in um, and and keep the long form content for something that really is meaningful um, you know, versus you found a cool article about whatever topic, you know, right. you want to be posting about. So a healthy mix of the two, I think is good. Okay. And piggybacking on other influencers content. So specifically doing write-ups about what they wrote up about, um, not necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I would say sharing their articles. So when you see something like, let's say thinking about who's like, like, okay, we'll use Seth Godin since he's a well-known marketing expert. If Seth Godin posts an article or shares a link to his blog, you know, in LinkedIn, which he does almost every day, you share it and put your two cents on it. So if, you know, based on whatever the topic is, well, Seth Godin gets a huge, I mean, he's such a huge following. So that is, you know, his content already is seen as credible and valuable. So you're sharing content that will be seen as credible and valuable to your network, whether or not they follow him. So that, that I think would be the best sort of in the, in the marketing world, a good example to share, um, you know, and then let's say he does post something that you really have a lot to say about, then that would be an opportunity to maybe write a 
longer form, re not rebuttal, but longer form uh, content that you might want to do through publisher. And then you could always link to the original content that he shared. So you could do it a couple different ways, but okay. I think that, um, you know, something that I uh, do personally and recommend to do is that if there are specific people in your industry that you want to connect with, they're kind of those goal people for you, but you're not quite ready to send a request to connect, um, you know, to them, follow them. Just start stalking like follow. them or follow. Yeah. Not stalk. following yeah. them. Yeah. Follow them. They get a notification <laughs> that you follow them. You, you're going to start to see their content in the news feed. You can start interacting with their content so that you, they start you start to build that relationship, like on, on the very ground level. And, um, you know, eventually if you kind of, continue to work that you can send that request to connect and hopefully they would accept it versus getting it out of the blue. Right. So we've talked a ton about articles, posts, content, obviously super important in this, but as a couple other things I want to make sure that we get to, um, your profile, joining groups, making connections, mm -hmm. and also just kind of who to expose yourself to. Um, yes. Can you select that uh, specifically? And then maybe even, um, advertising on LinkedIn, uh, use, using paid ads versus trying to get, uh, so I threw out a lot there, but let's start with yeah. the, the profile itself. Okay, I told you so I did a, a minimum amount of research before this. I, I actually made a bullet point. That's <laughs> good. Um, okay. So with your profile, if I had to say the most important parts of your profile is, uh, have a photo. It's really important to have a photo. And again, have a photo. I'm taking notes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, a, a professional photo. Um, I like to have a cover photo too, because it is an opportunity to show a little bit of personality. Um, like my cover photo is from my family's uh, trip to California over spring break. And it's in Monterey because that is just the most beautiful place. And I someday hope that we can retire there. <laughs> That's my choice of cities in California. If I could live anywhere, I live in LA. Oh my God. Monterey is amazing. I love Monterey. Um, so your photos are important. People just want to see a smiling face and they want to see who they're connecting with. I think it's also generally, uh, there's an assumption often that if you don't have a photo that you're not a very active user. So whether that's true or not, that is the perception. So have a photo. Oh, I would, I, um, I would take that other... a little bit farther. Even if you don't have, I mean, we look at profiles and we, we train our guys here certain things to look at because of the high volume of fake profiles to disregard if they don't have a job history, if they don't have a certain number mm -hmm. of connections, if they don't have a photo, those are just all signs. It's not a real profile or even if it yeah, is, the job history. they're not active. So don't bother to reach out to them on LinkedIn. Like if they show yeah, one I job. I think the job history is important. Very important. You're right. And if they're not, if they have like 20, you know, connections, they're clearly not that active. Yep. Um, so the other really important piece, I've actually been talking about this one a lot, is your headline. So your headline will default to whatever your current job and title is, unless you change it. Um, the headline in one, somebody should be able to look at your headline and know your industry and what you do in one quick, you know, snapshot. So that's your LinkedIn elevator page um, right there. Basically, yeah, and it goes with you every single where every single place you go on LinkedIn. So if you comment on somebody's post, your little headline shows up, you know, in the comments under your name. Yeah, I've seen some um, 
stupid stuff. I'm sorry, but some, some stupid stuff. <laughs> oh, I have to. You're on a I roll have... today, Sky. <laughs> I have to. Uh, my favorite is somebody, and I have a lot of healthcare clients, somebody who said they were the Jerry Maguire of healthcare. That's awesome. That was... no, wait, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> and I was like, that movie's 25, 20 years old. It's sort of outdated. Um, and then some people have really political ones. I think that's definitely generally a no-no on LinkedIn. Um, it's a no-no in business. Let's it is a no-no. Yes, just don't do it. Don't, don't, do don't, it. don't go there. Don't do Unless you're a politician and then that's your area of expertise. But if you're not, don't do that. The real One of the main reasons why I really emphasize the headline is that if you get a request to connect from somebody and it says, you know, consultant at whatever company, well, who cares? I, I mean, a consultant, you could doesn't tell me anything about what line of like, what's your area of expertise? Right. right. What kind of consulting do you do? So that means if I'm, I'm considering connecting with you, I have to click into your profile. I've got to read through your job description. I don't want to do right. that. I want to know what you do. Unless your company is NASA and you're Elon Musk. Don't just put that. Okay. Yes, <laughs> exactly. In which case you don't need advice wanted, on being an influencer. <clears throat> I want it to be succinct and very clear. Is this person someone that is of value to me? Um, and can I, you know, are they in an industry that makes sense for me to connect with? Some people will connect with anybody. Um, others won't. So your headline is just so, so important uh, for that reason. You're talk, we're talking about connections. Let's jump straight over to that. Um, sure. Should you be proactively reaching out to anybody and everybody, connecting with everybody? When you connect, I guess I'll fill in the blank on this one, but don't connect with people unless they know you already and it's a formality and not say something in the connection. I get random connection requests and they don't say, hey, I thought it would be nice to talk about X, Y, Z or anything. It's just connect with me for no, okay, I assume you're a bot and I'm just going to delete you. And then if you actually come to me legitimately in the future, I'll already have a, you know, I already have you on my blacklist. Yes. So, okay. A couple of things about connections. Again, some people will connect with anybody. Others are a little more discerning. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I definitely agree that if you don't personally know the person, um, you should always include a message. I do like to focus on second degree connections because I think people are more open to connecting if they see that you have people in common, particularly if you have a lot of people in common. You know, if I see somebody and I have 25 connections in common, and they're, gener- and they're actually people who I know, um, I'm more likely to say yes. That's a really great tip. I, I have gotten connected to some really powerful um, contacts through um, second degree, you know, they were second degree connections. And I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's just really hard to send something out to someone you have no one in common with and expect a, a response. I mean, I, I think... But some people may disagree. I don't know. Um, that's just well, my I can disagree of. with that if it's very, very targeted. And, you know, you, you can speak to their pain point and you're speaking what's in it for me. Um, and you make a valuable connection first before you do anything like that. I mean, that has proven to work. Um, but randomly, without those um, points that we were all talking about before and what you just mentioned now, I think it's a really bad idea. Right. And I'd say yeah. as long as you're, you're not sending it just blank. When you, when you get that option oh, to yeah. say, do you want to say something with this request, say something. Even people ask to connect to me, they say nothing, they're dead to me. If they say, hey, I want to sell you this <laughs> software and I'm looking for that or maybe interested in it, I'll connect and talk to them. But 
you can't just say nothing and then hope the person's going to connect. And uh, I mean, it may work occasionally, but usually the people who do that, you probably don't want to talk to anyway. And they're probably not interested in what you're saying. I agree. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I there was someone that connected with me, uh, must have been back in March. And um, I never responded to me after we connected um, and then emailed me recently. <laughs> and it was, it, you know, it was a form email. And I might have considered um, it was some charity or something that they were really interested in or, you know, getting support for. And I might have uh, been more interested in it, but it wasn't, you know, that authenticity wasn't there, right? Such generic LinkedIn lead generation machine. Obviously never engaged with me again until they wanted something, right? right. Later, many months later. So it was, it was like a little bit of a faux pas. You were in their cadence and they, you'll be in their cadence again. If you'd responded, they would have kept trying to sell to you. It's, it's that generic machine that is going to hinder LinkedIn eventually. But right now, it's a right. I agree, ground. and I think I think they're gonna crack down at it at some point. Yeah, I think I think it started off with, um, you know, so sort of to get back with our follow up, and I was like, oh my gosh, did I miss somebody? And then I went and looked, and I was like, yeah, you never yeah. followed up. With me. I got one from somebody <laughs> who, you know, they sent a very long message, but it was like in this, it, they they were talking about something like. I'd love to talk with you as you're, you're also in the field of, and it was in marketing, but it was like nothing I do at all. Like right. on, you know, more website based stuff. And I'm like, did you even look at my profile? No, Cause didn't. I don't do any yep. of the stuff you're talking about. Um, so, you know, another really important thing, and this is something, here's another little secret LinkedIn tip um, is that you can download basically everything you've ever done on LinkedIn. So you have access to all your data on LinkedIn. And if you, you know, you go through, um, if you're looking at like settings and privacy under your, um, under your account and you, you get through, you get to it through the privacy uh, tab, you can download all your connections, any invitations you've ever sent or received all your activity, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit. It is really, why would you do that? So the, the one that I think is the most important to download at probably at least three to four times a year, maybe you do it quarterly, are your connections. So chances are most people join LinkedIn, you know, 10 years ago or whenever, or, and, you know, you connect with anybody you've ever known, anyone you've ever worked with, your next door neighbor, your second cousin. Um, and then you kind of forget about all the people that you have accumulated over the years. Um, and I think the majority of people probably, you know, have between 500 and 2000 connections, depending on how old you are and what industry you're in. Well, if you don't look at those every once, every couple of months, you may be missing out on people who are um, potential targets for your industry. Um, people that can connect you with other people, people that are just good to reach out to on a regular basis. You also may realize that of the 500 plus people in your network, very few are your targets. So you need to start building up your um, your connections in a more strategic way. So it is a really important uh, tool that you have at your disposal. You also get people's email addresses. So I'm going to get bonus points because I do that quarterly. So I feel good about that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> good job. <laughs> I've got homework now. I, I don't do that. I was wondering, is there anything in that download that's not when you view their profile that's not there? Like you said, the email address, that might be in their C contact information. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get when you download your con the connections, you get name, first, last, company, position, email, date right. connected. That's the co that's the content you get. One thing you don't get, which is so annoying for LinkedIn, and it makes me so mad, you can't download people's locations. Huh. Um, so I did find a company based in California that can. I never thought about that. That sucks, actually. <laughs> so I found a company based in uh, California. Hopefully, they're still around. That can um, you can send them your download, and they will add a location for a very reasonable fee. Is it called Mountaintop Data? Because that's my company, and we do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing another plug out there. I'm sure there's a handful of companies that do that. I don't know, but it is. That's really yeah. important. I'll tell you, one of my one of my clients is um, they are a telemedicine company, and they have clients all over the country. And when I did that for the CEO who has thousands and thousands of connections, his his like mind was blown. He's like, "Oh my god, do you know how important this is that now we know where my contacts are located, so that we can." We can look at them regionally versus based on what health system they're attached to. Like it was so helpful. Yeah, and I would say there's a handful of companies that does, does do that. My company, Mountaintop Data, check them out. We do that. We can append that sort of information. Be careful when you yeah. when you look That's at companies that do that. Some companies will give you the location based on what's in their system for that contact. Some will actually look at LinkedIn mm -hmm. and fill in the location. But some, when they look at LinkedIn, get it from the contact and some get it from the company the contacts at which generally does not give you the same location especially in large companies it gives you the company headquarters location not their that individual's location so be careful for that when when looking at location uh, appending type stuff yeah so that's good good to know um it's really it's very helpful so i, I wish linkedin would let it would you be down. nice it would be nice another i'll throw something out here as long as you're giving out linkedin kind of tips Downloading the connections is a great one. I'll have to do that. Um, I'm a little torn on whether I should share this or not even, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of the research you did, Scott. Uh, for the good of the podcast, I'll let everybody know. Um, especially <laughs> if you tend to accept people who you don't know or don't have any relationship with on LinkedIn, um, make sure you change your privacy settings uh, so that. And it looks like, Rachel, I've seen that you've done this. Um, most people don't. They don't know this exists. And it, there's situations where this can actually be bad for you. Um, but anybody you connect to can see all of your connections. And that can mm -hmm. be bad in business. You don't want them knowing who all your connections are. You can change that in your privacy settings so they can only see, I think, none of them or people that you're also connected, that you guys share as connections. I would change that. Wouldn't that like? Wouldn't that prevent um, connecting with someone that you were connected with? They can still see when I look at a contact if it's second degree. But what this will prevent them from being able to do is saying, oh. "I'm connected with with Rachel Simon, and I want to go see all her, all the people she works with, and I want to steal them." People will will yeah. steal your mm. business this way. They will drill into your contacts and say, "Here's yeah. your, you know, here's your Rolodex." on LinkedIn and they can take your Rolodex and that can be very dangerous. If you connect with random people, your competitors will come to you and they will take your, your clients from you or at least know who you're doing business with. And every time you create a new contact, they can see it and they know who you add every day. Yeah. Um, and that's just information you don't want shared out there. 
Yeah, it is definitely worth to kind of do a privacy overview on LinkedIn to make sure. The other thing a lot of people talk about is turning off the viewers of this profile also viewed Hmm. um, because it can send people directly to your competitors. So I've definitely seen quite a number of people recommending to turning that, turn that. Yeah. Also, it'll it'll enable salespeople to dig in where you don't want them. And I've noticed here, this is a, it's a weird one, a little off subject, but it can also just be creepy. Um, guys are terrible and you'll see women's profiles and then you'll just see completely unrelated people because there's a high enough percentage of guys on LinkedIn, apparently just clicking on photos of attractive women. So you'll get just unreal. Yeah. Ew, exactly. <laughs> ew. But next time you, I mean, look at a profile, look over the right and you'll see, Oh wow. Why? These people have nothing to do with each other except for, oh, they all kind of fit a certain look and that's it. I know I figured this out because yeah. we had a guy in our company who we kept uh, doing that. He was just spending a lot of time clicking on women's pro. Oh, oh look wow. at this picture, look at this picture, look at this picture. <laughs> and then I started noticing on the side, oh, wow, that's why when I'm looking for another connection in this company, these people aren't related. It's it's more difficult to network with attractive women. They're because, LinkedIn stalkers. Yeah, there's seriously, there's just... There's some easy guys yeah. out there. The, the, the bottom line is yeah. keep it professional, people. Let me write that down. Keep it professional. Keep it professional on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the profile, we've dug in quite a bit on the profile. That should be very helpful for people. What about the making connections? We've, we've kind of touched on some do's and don'ts there. Groups. LinkedIn groups I want to hit on. So, um, yeah, groups is interesting. Um so I think based, it really depends on your industry and sort of the value, like the, how valuable are the groups? So some, you know, in some industries and in some groups, it's like nothing but post after post of self-promotional posts. And I don't think that's very helpful. If it's a group where there's actual dialogue and people are asking questions and there's an opportunity for you to engage and answer, then go for it. Like, get involved and really spend some time on those groups. But it's really going to be, I think, a case-by-case basis, depending on what the content tends to focus on. Now, let's say you're in a, you're in a, um, a space that you, you can't find a group that isn't just that, that constant self-promotion. I see that because I'm in marketing groups and it's just, hey, I'm another guy that markets. Does anybody want to buy our stuff? Um, really annoying. Uh, right. There's so much annoying stuff, even on LinkedIn. It's amazing. Um, what about creating your own group? Is that if and when should people do that? I didn't phrase that well, but I mean, I think that if you you know have the time. I mean, again, it's it really depends on how much time do you have to dedicate you know on the platform. So if your if your time is really limited, I think there's more value in really focusing on the content and and connections, if you need to build up your connections, like in a targeted fashion versus starting a group. And there's so many groups out there. Um, Cause then who you got to kind of recruit for it and figure out when people ask to join, are they the right people? I mean, there's a lot of work that goes along. So you have to manage the group. It's not like you just create it and everybody plays. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you can make the rules that this is, you can't post self-promotional posts, but then when people do, what do you do? You have to delete them. Do you kick the person out of the group? Like, it seems like a lot of work. Your group just fills up with people with their talking face videos about how awesome they are. You love that, Ty. You love it. Exactly. And you could make a video. Oh, we're going to, let's make a group. 
Let's make it that, yeah. and it's all going to be talk, talking face videos. <laughs> um, so, you know, groups can be helpful, again, to find people to connect with. So if there is a valuable group, even if the content isn't necessarily, um, you know, more engaging and it's, again, more like, read my blog, I'm presenting this, that, and the other, but you have access to, you know, 5,000 people who right. are members of that group. And a lot of those might be your targets and you can look through the membership list and decide about making some strategic outreach to them. Then there's value in that. Do people generally use groups for discussion or is it more an aggregation of content kind of? I think a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, I would love to see them be more about discussion, but again, in my experience, and again, I'm talking about, you know, the groups that I've experimented with um, for some of my clients and a lot of them are in healthcare. It is so much more about, you know, right. read my blog. I'm, I have a, you know, I'm presenting at this conference versus my hospital is having a problem with X, Y, and Z. Does anyone have recommendations? That's what I would hope it would be, but it's really. I'm going to start my talking head group and I'm going to call it people I can't hang out with. <laughs> And I'll invite people. And you know, if you've been invited, that that's a bad sign. Uh-oh, you don't want to be in that group. Hey, come um, hang out with me in my group. Yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Now, what about promoting? So you're making great content. You have a lot to say. It's awesome stuff. Everybody loves it. You're making connections with people. You're following and sharing people's content that are already influencers in your space. Um, you're writing these great articles. Should you do paid promotion of them? When should you do it? It's a good question. So I actually don't do paid promotion. I do um, everything that, that Connect the Dots uh, focuses on is organic. That being said, I mean, there's always a place for it. If no, for yourself you have, or for your clients, you don't do For paid. my clients, yeah, okay. and for both. So I think that, you know, it is something to consider. Um, it is expensive. It's not like Facebook where you can promote a post pretty uh, reasonably, you know, for a small budget. I was going to say that at the beginning of the episode when we are talking about how LinkedIn's not yeah. cluttered with ads. Part of it is they're just a lot more expensive. They are a lot. They are much more expensive. So it's not, you know, on Facebook, you can throw five, you know, $10, $15 at something and boost the uh, reach. Well, it's perfect for LinkedIn because, you know, that really shows the people that are serious about doing something, not going to glutton the, the feed, yeah. right? So, you know, if it is something where I think, you know, I can't speak to the, you know, the results because, again, I don't, I don't do paid for my clients, but it is something worth re looking into if it is content that really, I think you need to get out in front of people. Um, and you have the budget to do it, but and then be honest, you consider it a sign of weakness if people have to pay to get it heard. I mean, <laughs> you guys I don't know. have to do it because you've got great content, but I if think it depends on promote it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to spend a little money to make money, right? That's the old adage. So I think that you know, a, a lot, you know, bigger companies, it's a different, it's a different ball of wax. They have the budget. You know, a lot right. of clients that I work with are, you know, startups and smaller companies. And so there's just not the, um, the resources to spend on LinkedIn advertising. Right. But maybe if you don't have the time that, that you really need to kind of nurture your LinkedIn account and make connections and all that, you can, you can kind of pay to get people to see stuff rather than 
making a lot of connections, uh, doing or the groundwork kind of work with someone like me. And then or I can, you can hire an idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good point. If you don't have the time, but you have the money, that's where Rachel Simon comes in exactly. with. Digital. <laughs> Excellent. Is there anything that we've missed here? We're getting really close to wrapping it up. I want to make sure we cover anything and everything that, that you want to uh, cover here, Rachel. Um, what are we missing? So I, I think the only thing I want to make sure that, you know, is, really clear is that you can have all the, the greatest content in the world and really spend a lot of time and energy, you know, writing content, gathering content, posting it. If you're not connected to the people that need to see it, you're speaking to the wrong audience. So we talked about, you know, downloading your connections. It's for two purposes. One, to see who are you connected to because there may be targets in your connections, but you also may discover that you're completely off the mark with who's in your LinkedIn network. And you need to spend a lot of, of time, not a lot of time, but you need to spend time thinking about who do I need to target? Who are the titles? Um, are there specific geographies? Are there companies? You know, and doing some searching. Um, I'll say, if only there was a tool in LinkedIn allowed, oh, wait, that's exactly what they do. Yeah, really easy exactly. to go find the right people. So, Spend some time searching. And again, I like to look at second degree connections because I think that you get a better response. Spend some time looking at your um, doing some research and seeing who comes up as secondary connections based on those targets and do some outreach to them. Send them requests to connect. Always include a message, but build up that targeted audience so that when you're posting content that speaks to your expertise, the people who need to see it. We're going to see it. And then I guess if you focus on the secondary connections, you can spider out from there because when one of those connects with you now, all their connections are your secondary connections. And Yes, absolutely. And if you need, if you're considering upgrading to, uh, if you're considering upgrading to a paid, uh, a paid account, you know, a premium or sales navigator, I always recommend sales navigator. I think it is. And again, I don't work for LinkedIn. So, um, but sales navigator, if, especially if you're adding a lot of connections and you really want to um, target specific companies and people within those companies, it's just a very dynamic tool to do that, whether you're a salesperson or not. Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, double down on that with you. I know you'll max out your connections pretty quick on LinkedIn yes. if you're doing a lot of research. And LinkedIn never, um, they don't exactly tell you, like you'll get a notification that you're nearing your limit for the month. So you don't know if that means I have five more that I can send or 50 that, you know, LinkedIn is very coy about that, but and there's some general rules people have figured out. You can look at about 50 profiles a day, but they've got a whole like AI that looks for people because of all that fake profile stuff I was talking about that looks for people, hones in on you and your specific activity, it might shut you down pretty quickly and someone else you might see a hundred profiles a day it's true. if, that is if they true. feel the way you're browsing linkedin is suspicious it yeah it varies and they don't yeah they don't let anybody know and they don't want or to you're know. connecting with yeah, yeah. now it's or... interesting because you know when i'm working in client profiles i mean sometimes i'm you know sending out a lot I'm, i mean i'm doing it myself by hand sending out lots of messages but you know it's the same content for the most part um and so i've never had a problem with anybody, um, you know, being flagged like that. But I do think that they are getting more sensitive to automation tools um, because there's a new one every day yep. out there. Um, and a lot of them are set up where they, you know, they are, they will only 
do X number of interactions because they know what those rules are. Um, but, you know, LinkedIn, it's like the, the challenge with digital marketing on any platform is that platform is in charge and they're always changing the rules. Um, and we kind of have to go with the flow depending on what happens. And they've done a good job. They've done a good job. Yeah. It keeps us from having too much of that. Um, but, you know, LinkedIn, because they were purchased by Microsoft, I think we're going to start to see them integrating into a lot more um, in the Microsoft suite in the next couple of years. So I just saw a notice. It's not really going to affect anybody except for the five people using Bing, but um, <laughs> they, they have a function on the Bing ads. Now uh, my marketing guy came to me and, and pointed it out and then said, too bad that doesn't affect anybody. Uh, but on like Google has Google ads. Bing has of course the same thing. You can post ads on, on Bing search engine and you can now use LinkedIn criteria as your targeting criteria for in the Bing search. Wow. So that's an interesting crossover. They're yeah. monetizing it for a long time. LinkedIn's goal was to keep data companies and marketing companies from monetizing their data. Um, and that's what they've had lawsuits about that. And, but well, now that they're purchased by Microsoft, it is being, it's being monetized yeah. in a way. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it's, it's, you can now target people. Yeah. Through the, uh, the Bing ads. And I'm sure they have yeah. many other yeah. ways they're looking to spread their tentacles. Well, and think about with like Outlook or, or, um, webinar platforms, you know, is it WebEx that I think Microsoft, I can't remember whatever their webinar platform, you know, it could, I think my husband was talking about, he read something where eventually they're going to integrate LinkedIn profiles into those webinar platforms. So like when you log in, your profile is going to populate your picture and your headline could potentially populate into there. So I've got a public service announcement too. Uh, by the way, everybody listening, uh, it's not a data leak when people see information on your profile, that's called public information. Um, yeah. <laughs> stop freaking out. That's something you put on your homepage. Somebody knows that's uh, yes. Bing is selling that information and access to it. It's everywhere. Cause you put it there. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's very interesting, but again, with your download, you own that data. You that you know, and it, you own your LinkedIn data, so you have access to do what you will with it. You know, within reason, obviously. So, um, you know, use it and use it for good. Check out who you're connected to. Make sure that they're the right people. And I'd say um, build that thought leadership uh, in whatever space absolutely. you're in. Yeah. All right. Excellent, um, Rachel. It's been fantastic having you on today. Let me get through some uh, accounting here. If um, anybody wants to find Rachel, it's uh, connectthedotsdigital.com. You can uh, you can find her there. They specialize in this type of thing. Uh, the email is rachel at connectthedotsdigital.com. I'll leave that off the show notes because people crawl and scrape that stuff. Um, no worries. And then, uh, but if you're listening, just write that very simple, Rachel at. Obviously, you can also just reach out to her on LinkedIn. She probably spends a little bit of time there. You can find all this information on the show notes for uh if you market.com, uh, please share us on, on your social media. We uh, post this kind of stuff up on LinkedIn every time we have an episode. So share that around. We'd love it. Give us a review. Give us a, a on iTunes on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the if you market team and Rachel Simon of connect the dots digital. Thank you for listening. Oh, spread the word. If you market the shit out of it on LinkedIn, they will come. Yes. And if you content market on LinkedIn, they will come. That's right. That's right. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.